Welcome to the North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. Luke chapter 9, we'll get there in just a second. I read a tweet the other day that someone posted, and I don't know if it was original to them or if they stole it and they you know, copied it from somebody else, but, but it was the first time I heard it the other day, and I thought it was pretty good, so I want to share it with you this morning. It says this, when a man says that he'd do anything for a woman, he means he'd stop bullets and kill dragons, not clean the basement or wash the dishes. How many of you know that's true? <clears throat> Amen? Right? Right? When you make those promises, you're talking about those big things like bullets and dragons, not dishes and cleaning the basement. Um, we often make those declarations of love in those vague statements because those vague statements are more romantic, aren't they? I would do anything for you. I'd climb mountains. I'd swim oceans. You know, I'd, I'd catch bullets. I would do anything for you. And, and we make those vague statements so big and, and they feel so romantic, but the problem is they're not real. They're just not real. You're not going to, you're not going to win that 22-year-old cutie's heart by saying real things. You're not going to, you're not going to, make her swoon by saying, baby, I'll do the dishes for you. It's just not going to happen. That doesn't sound very romantic. You're not going to win her heart by saying, my promise to you is that I will make sure that the oil gets changed on all of our vehicles on time. Right? I will take care of that. It's, it, that's, not going to, that's not going to fill her full of all of those emotions. You're not going to promise to keep the dresser clean. You're not going to say to her when you're out on that second date, listen, sweetheart, I promise that, that when we are older and we have kids every Saturday morning, I'm going to wake up with the kids and I'm going to let you sleep in for as long as you want. Though, when you are older and you have kids, that may be the most romantic thing you've ever heard in your life, right? <clears throat> Just doesn't work then. Sweetheart, I love you so much. I will watch all of Downton Abbey with you again. I did it once. I'll do it again. That's how much I love you. Oh, you're the best. You know what I mean? Like, come on. We're not going to win their heart with, with real declarations. And so we think that we have to say these vague, big, romantic declarations of our love and commitment because that's the only thing that we feel works. And often, those are the things that we get to hide behind, right? Most married couples declare in their vows, for better or worse, full of young, romantic, idealistic love, with ideas being that better would be vacations to Hawaii, worse would be like vacations to Denver, right? That's, that's, that's our thought of for better or worse. Like, it's not going to be or worse. It's all going to be great because this is awesome. But things change, and they later discover what those words actually mean, for better or worse, when she gets fired and you guys can't pay your bills and your heat and your water is about to be shut off, that's what that means, for better or for worse. When he gets cancer and this once strong, capable man becomes very weak and frail, that's what that means, for better or for worse. The loss of a child, that's what that means. When addiction threatens a marriage, that's what that means, for better or for worse. And, and we often do this. 
We make grand, vague, idealistic statements about our commitment to the one that we love, but the reality is we aren't really saying anything with those I would do anything for you statements. What we do is that we're hoping that our spouse never exposes our lack of true commitment in this statement by asking us to live it out. We think that, that we hope that saying it is enough, but how many of you know it's not? It's not. And we do the same thing with God. We make grand, vague, idealistic statements. We, we say, I would do anything. I would go anywhere. I, I would do whatever you ask me to do. We make these idealistic statements declaring our love for him and our surrender for him, hoping, hoping that when we come down here at the altar and we pour our heart out in these grand statements, we hope that when we get up, God's not going to ask us to do anything to expose our lack of commitment that we just made down here at the altar. And we hope, we hope, we hope that God, if I just say I would do anything, the words are enough, but I'm here to tell you this morning they're not. They're not. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus exposes three fans who are hiding behind vague, idealistic, romantic declarations of commitment to Jesus, and he doesn't let them get away with it. Now, we've been in this series, Not a Fan, for the last four weeks. This is our last week of it, and, and I know it's been difficult. It's been difficult for me. It's been challenging for me, but I hope that, that in our people, in our believers, it's been stirring up something inside of us to be more, to do more, to engage more with our walk and our relationship with Jesus, because I don't know about you, but every time I look at the news, I know that this world needs Christians who are full of faith, full of power and full of the Spirit of God who can go out and live boldly and sacrifice greatly for the kingdom of God. We need believers who are all in, fully engaged, who are not content to just watch from the stands, but to engage in the advancement of the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus was looking for from the very beginning. Jesus doesn't want Fans. He's not looking for people who will hide behind these vague statements. He's looking for followers who will jump in, get their hands dirty, and engage in the community when the community loves them, and engage in the community when the community hates them. He's looking for followers who are willing to sacrifice everything. So I want to look at some of these vague comments that we see here this morning. The first one is this. The first one is wherever. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Wherever. Wherever. Jesus, wherever you go, I'll go. Jesus, wherever you lead, I'll follow. Wherever you direct me, I'll be obedient. That, where, that wherever declaration sounds really good. It sounds like a follower, but we often hide behind these vague statements. This is what happens in Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Um, and what we've been doing throughout this series is we've been looking at different encounters, different opportunities for people to follow. And I don't know if, if you've never realized it before. I, I don't think that I realized it to this extent that Jesus was constantly looking for followers. Jesus was constantly calling people to follow him more. Jesus was constantly looking for people to follow him more closely, and, and it's all through the Gospels. And so, so here's a couple of encounters in Luke chapter 9, verse 57. It says, as they were going along the road, Jesus and his disciples and, and some of the other people that were gathered around, someone said to him, a voice from the crowd said, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus didn't ask him to follow. 
Jesus was just walking through, and this man runs up to him and says, Jesus, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. My guess is he was one of those guys. He was probably really emotional. Um, he was on this emotional, spiritual high. He was probably listening to Caleb as he was rolling up, and just all of that emotion and that spiritual energy was stirring up inside of him, and, and, and he was having sort of this spiritual epiphany, and he runs up to Jesus and says, no matter what, Jesus, I'm going to go with you. No matter where you go, I'm going with you wherever sounds really good like a true follower wherever means there's no restrictions there's no boundaries there's no limitations wherever means wherever but from a fan wherever doesn't always mean wherever you get the sense that this guy is saying wherever because he wants to be a part of Jesus's entourage right I don't know but when I read the gospels um, I, I read those invitations to the parties and the temples and, and things like that, and I think, you know, it kind of would have been cool to be a part of Jesus' entourage. It would have been cool to have been able to walk into those rooms and see Jesus pray for dead people and they come back to life. It, it would have been cool to be sitting on the front row when Jesus is multiplying the bread and fish and feeding 5,000 or, or, or more accurately, 25,000 people. I, I, it would have been cool to be a part of Jesus' entourage, Right? When, when Jesus had to pay the temple tax and, and he tells Peter, hey, Peter, go fishing. And um, when you catch a fish, you're going to find a little bit of money in the fish's mouth. Go Get that and go ahead and go and pay mine in your temple tax. I, I think it would have been cool to be a part of Jesus' entourage. And, and it seems like this guy didn't necessarily want to be a follower of Jesus. He just wanted to be a part of his crew. I want to travel with you to the big stadiums, Jesus. I want to be invited to the large palaces. I want to rub shoulders with the most important people in the world. I want to stay in the nicest hotels. I want to hang out in the green room with you before you go up and you share your message where, where, where they have the writer and you can tell them whatever you want in the green room, like all the green M&Ms and, and nothing else, stuff like that. I want to eat the shrimp and, and, and drink the water with the bubbles in it. I want to be a part of your crew, Jesus, because it sounds really, really cool. But you see, Jesus doesn't let this person hide behind vague commitments because he answers him in verse 58 when Jesus said to him, he says this to the guy who, who makes this bold declaration, I'll follow you wherever you go. He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He sort of bursts that bubble that this man is promising to be a part of. He's saying, look, you don't fully understand what you're committing to. Let me tell you what this looks like. Even the foxes have a place to call home. Even the birds have a place to call home. I, the son of man, don't. If you're gonna follow wherever, that's great because I'm homeless right now. And wherever is a very real possibility. The man says, the man says wherever, and Jesus points to a place that's a threat to his comfort. It's a threat to his lifestyle. It's a threat to his security. It's a threat to his identity. And he says, what about there? Would you be willing to follow me there? Because I, I can see what you're after. That's not what I have to offer right now. Would you follow me there? Are you committing to a lifestyle? Are you committing to blessings? Or are you committing to me? Will you follow me there? And we're left with the impression that his commitment to wherever was more of a bullets and dragons commitment and less of a laundry and dishes commitment. 
It was more of a vague, romantic, wherever I'll go, without really understanding what whatever really or wherever really means. Because we never hear from this man again. He's promising to be one of his disciples. He, he's, he's committing to be one of his disciples. But Jesus says one thing, and then we never hear from this guy again because he didn't fully understand what wherever meant. It's easy to make vague statements without committing to anything real. And I know that there are a lot of us here this morning who have said stuff like this because as I look around, I, I, I know the majority of the people in the room. I, I know that many of you have been believers for a long, long time. Many of us have been believers for a long, long time. Some of you are just recent and new, and that's great, and we are so, so happy. But there are many of you that have been a part of the kingdom of God and in relationship with Jesus for a long, long time, and many of you have said, I will follow wherever. But it makes me wonder if we were bringing that commitment, bringing that declaration to Jesus today, where are the places that he would look inside my heart? Where are the places that he would look inside your heart and say, you promised to follow wherever. What about there? What about there? What about at work? Will you follow me at work? Will you follow me there? What about there? Do you operate by a different set of standards and a different level of integrity, by a different set of values and rules at work in order to be successful, climb the ladder, get ahead? Do you treat people different at work than you do at church? What about there? Will you follow me there? What about when you're around some of those old friends that knew you way back then? What about there? Will you follow me there? Those people who knew you before you really got serious about your relationship with Jesus, those people who can tell embarrassing stories about you, those people who you knew you hung out with, that you, you, you spent time with, that you're thinking, thank God Facebook and social media didn't exist back then. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you get around those people, Jesus says, what about then? When those people are asking you and, and, and there's this very real pressure for you to be the person you were before, what about there, Jesus says. Will you follow me there? What about there? What about at the game? Will you follow Jesus there? Will you follow there? What about at the game? Th think about this. Well, what about that game when you're standing there at the fence watching your kid and the coach is being an idiot? Come on, somebody. All right? Like, my kids haven't even been a part of very many teams right now, but I've already, in my heart, been watching them and thinking, this coach doesn't have a clue what they're doing, right? And, and all of that, that parent and that, that pride and that frustration begins to well up inside of you. What about there? Are you going to follow there? What about when the kid on the other team is being a punk? And coming at your kids or throwing the ball at him or kicking him or, or doing all those things, playing dirty. What about then? Are you still going to follow there? Are you going to represent Christ well there? What about when the parents for your team, the, the parent for the other kids on your team are yelling at your kid to pass the ball to their little ball hog? What about there? Are you going to follow there? Right? What about there? What about those places that are difficult? What about at home? Are you going to follow there? Are you, are you going to serve at home? Or are you going to sit around? At home, do you represent Jesus well there? Do you encourage? Or is that the place where you take the mask off and you become really critical? 
Are you quick to forgive at home? Is your, is your fuse longer at home or shorter at home? What about there? What about there? Will you follow when wherever threatens your lifestyle? Will you follow when wherever threatens your comfort? Will you follow when wherever threatens your security, your freedom, your fun? Will you follow there? What if, what if God is asking you to go to Cambodia? Will you follow there? I wonder if we were honest and, and, and we gave God the, uh, the, the freedom to point to our hearts, where would he point to? What would be that place where he would point to and he would say, what about there? What about there? Are you willing to follow me there? The second vague statement that fans often commit to is the whenever. We commit to wherever and we often commit to whenever. I'll follow Jesus whenever he moves. I'm ready to go whenever he leads. We often say whenever, hoping that our promise and declaration of love to him is enough to satisfy Jesus. But the truth is we aren't ready or willing to follow Jesus when he comes in and interrupts us. Whenever becomes a lot more difficult when Jesus says, look, I know you're doing something right now. I know you're pursuing something right now. I know you're chasing something right now. I know you're in the middle of something right now. I know this is a difficult season for you right now, but I need you to move here right now. Hold on. Just a second, Jesus. You obviously didn't check my calendar. Don't you wish, like, Jesus, I think that Jesus should be able to have, like, the knowledge and the technology to plug into my Google calendar. Amen? Like, he needs to check my stuff before he asks me to do something because I'm a busy dude. Like, he needs to look and see and find a free weekend when he asks me to do things. He, he, Jesus just, he just interrupts all the time. Have you found that to be true? He just interrupts. He doesn't even check my calendar. And, and whenever becomes really difficult when it conflicts with what we have on our calendar. This is what he says in verse 59. To another, he says this. Jesus actually says this to someone. He says, follow me. Jesus, so, so think about this. Jesus is walking down the road. He's got his disciples there. He's got the, the crowd, a, a group of fans that are following him. A guy runs up to him and says, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Great. Foxes don't have, foxes have holes, birds have nests, I don't have a home. Are you going to follow me there? That guy's like, yeah, I'm out. And then he keeps going a little bit farther. He looks to another man, looks him in the eyes, and he says, you, I see something in you. God has got a call on your life. The Holy Spirit wants to fill you up with grace, power, anointing, and use you to radically change the world. God wants to use you to flip the world upside down on its head and establish a kingdom in power and grace and authority that is going to radically alter the world. You, I want you, you, follow me. It's the same words he said to Peter. It's the same words he says to John and to Thomas and to all the other disciples. Follow me. Jesus is looking for followers. Jesus is looking for people he can personally invite into his inner circle that he can pour his life into so that they can go and change the world. He says, you, follow me. But this guy says to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Verse 60. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. 
Jesus says, follow me. And this guy says, sure thing, Jesus, I'm ready. I'm going to follow you. The answer is yes, Jesus. But first, I need to bury my father. How many of you know that this seems like a reasonable request? Yes? None of you, right? It seems like a reasonable request to me. It, it just seems like, hey, like, I, I, got a, I got a funeral to attend. Let me go and bury my father. It seems reasonable, but Jesus says, leave him. Let's go. Let the dead bury their own dead. That seems kind of harsh, right? Like Jesus isn't being very nice. And we don't like to spend a whole lot of time on this passage because the truth is, it, it feels like, and I don't know if we can even say this from the pulpit without getting struck by lightning, but it feels like Jesus is being kind of a jerk, right? Give the man a Snickers so he can kind of straighten out. It just seems like he's off here. Let the dead bury their own dead. Man, I, like it's my dad, right? At least that's what it looks like. It sounds like this guy is willing to follow Jesus. He just has to attend a funeral first. But the truth is, his promise of whenever, the the, the promise of whenever has turned into great, but now's not a good time. Now's not a good time. Because it's very likely in this culture, they would have understood what's going on. It's very likely that this man's father was still living. He, he wasn't dead. He, he was probably in fairly decent health. And so what he was saying to Jesus was more, more than, um, but first let me bury my father. What he was saying to Jesus is, after my parents die, after my parents die, I'll be free to follow you. I just can't do it right now. The answer is yes, but, but just not right now. I, my once my parents pass away, then, then yeah, I'll be, I'll be free. I won't have anything like holding me back. I won't have any ties to anything. Then, then yes, I'll follow you then, but I can't right now. And it makes us wonder why now wasn't a good time. What was the issue with right now? What was it about his parents that were, were kind of holding him back? Could it possibly be that his parents didn't approve of him following a controversial homeless rabbi? Could it be that he would go in to his parents and say, hey, look, I'm going to follow Jesus. And they're like, yeah, and where are you going to stay tonight? I don't know. He just said, like, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but he doesn't have a place to live. I don't know where we're going to stay. Maybe outside. No, you're not. Right? Maybe, maybe his parents would have cut him off. Maybe his parents would, would have said, look, um, if you choose to follow that path with that crazy guy, you will be written out of the will. You will get no inheritance from us. So make your choice. Maybe, maybe this guy didn't want to have the hard conversation with his dad that says, look, I'm not going to follow in your footsteps. I'm not going to take over the family business. I'm not going to be the and sons in your Johnson and Sons enterprise. I'm just, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to sell the business and I'm going to go follow Jesus. Maybe he just, he, he wasn't strong enough to have that kind of a conversation. Makes you wonder why he didn't want to follow Jesus until after his parents died. See, we don't fully see what's at the heart of this issue, but, but we understand it. We use it. Many of us have used it over and over and over again. And maybe, maybe you haven't used that excuse to, to become like that first step follower, but when Jesus is asking you to go all in and commit and, and, and give everything to the advancement of the kingdom, we're like, hey, you know what, maybe, but now's not a good time. 
Jesus, I'm not saying no, but I, I'm, I'm saying that um, once my kids are grown and out of the house, then it'll be better for me. Jesus, you know what? This is great and all, and I want to be a follower, and I want to commit everything, but we got a lot of debt that we're trying to get out of right now, and i got to commit a lot of time and effort and energy into that, and any time that I take away from that and, and pour into like, like ministering to people and advancing the kingdom, I'm taking away from this debt stuff, and um, God, once I get all of this figured out, then I'll go all in with you. Then I'll do what you're asking me to, but now is just not a good time. Jesus, I'm not saying no, I'm just saying you know, I just, I gotta take care of a few things first. The most common response to a fan or from a fan when asked to follow is tomorrow. Yes, Jesus, tomorrow. Yes, Jesus, tomorrow. And, and we often treat Jesus like the diet that we promised to start tomorrow. How many of you have ever promised to start a diet tomorrow? Did tomorrow come? Let's be honest. It's like the workout routine that we're, we're promising to start tomorrow. I'm gonna wake up early tomorrow and I'm gonna get on that treadmill. The alarm clock buzzes at six. I meant tomorrow, right? And then tomorrow doesn't come. It's the bad habit that we promise to quit tomorrow. And we go to bed feeling really good about our vague commitments to tomorrow, but Jesus isn't interested in tomorrow. He wants to know where you're at today. Now isn't a good time, Jesus. I'm growing a business. Now isn't a good time, Jesus. I'm networking. Now isn't a good time, Jesus. I'm raising kids. Now isn't a good time, Jesus. I'm kind of working the dating pool, right? You just stay out of my life right now until I find a girl. Like, then we can talk. Now's not a good time. Now's not a good time, Jesus. I'm in school. Jesus, I'm not saying no. I just need things to slow down. Jesus, I'm not saying no. I just, when I get things figured out in this season and my life slows down, then I can commit to following you seriously. Listen, it doesn't matter where you are in life. Things never slow down, ever. And if the enemy knows that the only thing he has to do to keep you from becoming a completely committed follower of Jesus is to fill your calendar, then he doesn't have to do anything. He's gonna let you do it all, all on your own. I wanna share a quote from uh, this book, Not a Fan, that I've been encouraging you to read. It says this, for the fans who are always telling Jesus tomorrow, I've discovered that most often tomorrow only becomes today when tragedy strikes and dreams are shattered. Isn't that so true? So many people who have, who have been in the church for a little bit, maybe who've grown up in the church but have strayed away and have felt that call of God to, to go all in, to become a completely committed follower, but they gotta take care of some things first. The, the thing that propels them or compels them to come back into the church is often tragedy or heartache or shattered dreams. I used to be in the church, pastor, but then this happened and now my wife left me, so I need Jesus. Boy, I wonder what could have happened if you wouldn't have waited till tomorrow for so long, if you would have just come back when, when the Holy Spirit was compelling you. What could you have, what heartache, what pain could you have saved yourself if you wouldn't have waited till tomorrow? The land of tomorrow is where you find divorce, addiction, unmanageable debt, it's in the land of tomorrow that you'll find an unfaithful spouse and a prodigal child. 
It's the land of tomorrow because we keep pushing it off and keep pushing it off and keep pushing it off. You see, there are natural consequences that occur when we refuse to follow the path that Jesus has laid out for us. There are natural consequences when we refuse to follow Jesus and go our own way. That's where heartache, that's where despair, that's where pain is found. And the truth is that Jesus wanted to keep us from those things. And Jesus is saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. And it doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but he keeps us from despair, right? He keeps us from fear. Jesus says, follow me, and I'm not going to take you to Disney World. We're going to take you to some really hard places, and you're going to do some really hard things, but you're going to find joy unspeakable and full of glory. You're going to find hope. You're going to find peace. You're going to find contentment. God says, if you follow me, you will let me manage your affairs. You will let me manage your relationships. You will let me keep you on the path that I have designed for you, and it's going to save you from a lot of pain, heartache, and despair. Some of you are here this morning and you know that if you would have started following Jesus when he first whispered to your heart, you wouldn't be going through the pain that you're feeling right now. But that's not even the area of greatest concern when we keep putting things off till tomorrow. The area of greatest concern is that for some, tomorrow will never come. For some, tomorrow will never come. In your life, Jesus has been over and over and over and over again trying to get your attention. Hey, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. And you keep saying tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. And, and, and eventually that, that follow me just becomes background noise and you can't even hear it anymore. It's not even registering in your heart and your spirit anymore because Jesus has been saying it for so long. You've been ignoring it for so long that it's not even having any impact or effect in your heart anymore. There was a guy in, in college that lived on my hall, and um, he always signed up for 725 classes, those early morning classes. The problem was that he stayed up till all hours of the night playing video games. And so um, this happened on the very first week where he'd stay up playing video games, had 725 classes, and he'd, he'd set his alarm for like, you know what, 7 o'clock, whatever. And... Um, and that alarm clock would just go and go and go. Like five minutes, that alarm clock would ring. And, um, and finally, he'd hit the snooze button. And every time I was going to class, on my 725 class, I could hear his alarm going off. I was walking in thinking, oh, I'm not going to be the last one to class today. This is great. He's going to be late. And you would hear that thing. Usually, by the time you got to the end of the hall, you would hear him hit the snooze again. Constantly hitting the snooze. Um, a couple of months later, that same semester, I, I remember I'd, I'd go to my 725, 825, my 925 class. I'd come back down my hall about 11 o'clock, and um, a couple months later, I would hear that alarm clock just going on at, at 11 o'clock. He was supposed to be up at 7. Now that alarm is buzzing at 11, and I'm walking back to my dorm. And everybody on the hall Heard it. And so everybody on the hall had, had, had done this. Everybody had knocked on his door, be like, Jared, are you okay, man? Like, are you dead in there? And then you'd hear him hit the snooze. You'd be like, all right, he must be alive. You know, and you'd walk to class, right? And then it just got to be so annoying, so frustrating 
that any time that you would walk by and you'd hear that alarm clock going off, you'd kick his door really hard. Wham, wham, wham. You'd kick it really hard and he'd scream at you, knock it off, and he'd hit his alarm clock. Like It was just so annoying to hear that alarm clock going off all the time. But he had become so accustomed to ignoring the, the wake-up signal, he'd become so accustomed to hitting the snooze that he couldn't hear his alarm at all. It just, it just didn't register to him. And the, the scary thing is, there are some of us fans who have become so accustomed to hitting the snooze when Jesus is saying, follow me. We're so accustomed to say, not right now, not right now. I'll do it in a minute. I'll do it in a day. I'll do it in a week. I'll do it in a couple years. I'll do it next season. We become so accustomed to hitting that snooze button that now the Holy Spirit can't even get our attention. And so when you hear Overly aggressive preachers standing up here saying, wake up, get with it, it's time to follow Jesus. It just becomes annoying to you uh, right now because you've been hearing this and you've been ignoring it for so long. So now it's just become annoying. But the reality is it's Jesus trying to get your attention saying, wake up, follow me, quit hitting the snooze button, get up and let's make tomorrow today. Don't live in the vague promises of tomorrow. Don't wait until tomorrow to surrender those secret sins. Listen, some of you have secret sins. You're hiding from your spouse, from your children, from your boss, from everybody around you, and you're praying, dear God, please don't ever let me get exposed. Today is the day of repentance. Today is the day to surrender those secret sins. Don't wait till tomorrow. You've tried the tomorrow stuff. The tomorrow didn't come. Do it today. Don't wait till tomorrow to start being kind and generous. Do it today. Don't wait till tomorrow to invite somebody to be a part of your church. Don't wait until tomorrow to invite somebody to Easter. This is what's going to happen. At the end of this service, when you're walking out, you're going to be given some invite cards. And, and I've encouraged you in the past, we'll encourage you again today to invite some people to, to church with you next Easter or, or next Sunday, which is Easter, because they're going to be more likely to accept that invitation and come and be your guest. But this is what you're going to do. You're going to say, I'm going to do this tomorrow. And then Monday's going to come and there's not going to be a good time. Right? You're going to get busy and you're going to say, ah, oh, man, I missed it. I'll do it tomorrow. And then Tuesday will come, and the same thing will happen. There will be meetings. There will be, you know, delays. There will be things that happen. Ah, you just, the opportunity never presented itself. And then it's going to be Saturday, and you're going to be like, ah, you know, it's kind of last minute. I don't know if I want to do that to him. I'm going to have to make an awkward phone call. So, ah, maybe I'll do it next year. And, and there have been people that the Holy Spirit have been putting on your heart to invite to church, not even in Easter service, but to church, and you find excuse after excuse after excuse to put it off until tomorrow. Don't wait until tomorrow. Do it today today do it today don't wait until tomorrow to apologize to your spouse some of you have some things you need to work through don't wait till tomorrow do it today the third vague commitment is whatever we talked about wherever whenever and whatever whatever Years ago, I, I, read, I read this just the other day, but, but it said that years ago when the Knights of Templar were active and when one of the members was baptized, they, they had this very strange thing that they would do during their baptism into water. They'd be baptized. What they would do 
is that the Knights of Templar would be baptized with their swords, these fighters, these warriors, these, this elite fighting force. They would be baptized with their swords. But when the priest would tip them back into the water, when, when they would immerse them into the water, what the knights would do is they would take their swords and they would hold it up out of the water. They actually did this. And when they would go down under the water, they would hold their swords up above the water. And it was their way of saying this, Jesus, you can have control of me, but you can't have this. Jesus, you can have all of me, but this. And that sword would never go under the water. And these knights were saying, Jesus, I'm all yours, but who I am and what I do on the battlefield, how I use this sword is my business. That's not part of the deal. And the sad thing isn't that this happened. The sad thing is that we kind of get it. We kind of understand it. Like it kind of makes sense, right? Yeah, you can be a Christian, but you still got to be lethal on the battlefield. Like you, you got to cross some lines. You got to cross some boundaries if you're going to win. We kind of get it. We kind of get it in our lives today too, right? Verse 61, yet another said to Jesus, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. Again, this feels like a reasonable request. Let me go say goodbye to my family. But Jesus knew what he was asking. In those days when someone was ready to make a significant life change, they would usually spend a week or two going around saying goodbye to everybody, having parties, farewell parties, goodbye parties, getting presents and gifts and, and all of those well wishes for a couple of weeks. And he was saying, hey, like, like I'll follow you, Jesus, but, but I want my farewell tour here, you know, in town. He was saying, I want to follow you, but I want to keep my status. I want to follow you, but I want to keep my name. I want to follow you, but I want to keep my friendships. I want to follow you, but I want to keep my position, my influence in the community. He says, Jesus, I want to follow you, but this isn't part of the deal. I want to hold on to this. Verse 62, Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So Jesus often points to what we value the most and what concerns us the most and says, what about that? Will you follow me with that? Most of us are okay to follow. We, we just don't know if we're ready to take everything underwater with us. And I wonder if we allowed that practice in the church today, what are those things that we would hold above the water? What are those things that we would say, Jesus, I'm gonna follow you, but, but this isn't part of the deal. Maybe it would be your business card. Jesus, you can have all of me, but you can't have this. Maybe it would be your wallet. Jesus, you can have all of me, but you can't have this. Maybe it would be your entertainment choices. Jesus, you can have all of me, but you can't have this. Like what I click on, what I scroll through, what I watch in the privacy of my own home has nothing to do with you. You stay out of that. Jesus, you can have all of me, but this. Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's your time. Maybe you would hold a watch above the water and you'd say, Jesus, you would have all of me, but you can't have this. You can't have this. Maybe it's the plans for your future. Maybe it's your selfish desires. Maybe it's your thought life. Jesus, you can have all of me, but, but my thoughts. Maybe it's your marriage. I don't know what it is. Jesus is adamant that we surrender everything because he knows 
Jesus knows that that one thing that we're most reluctant to surrender is the one thing that has the most potential to replace Jesus in our lives. So, so we're going to wrap up our series like this. If you could stand your feet all across this place. In Jesus' day, when somebody committed to follow him, it, it, they were committing to a way of life. To commit to follow a rabbi meant that wherever he went, you would go. Whenever he went, you would go. And whatever he was doing, you would do. It was a commitment to literally be with him whenever, wherever, doing whatever. If the rabbi would go to the temple, the student would go to the temple. If the rabbi ate, the student would eat. If a rabbi went to another town, the student would go to another town. If he slept, if he studied, the student would do that too. It was like a divine echo. It was like, it was like um, my four-year-old playing the repeat after me game or, or the annoying echo game, but in life, like everything that he would do, they would do. They would just follow this divine echo. I'm gonna follow you, I'm gonna repeat, I'm gonna follow, I'm gonna repeat. I'm gonna, it was like this, this life copy of the rabbi. The idea of following the rabbi so closely is captured in a Jewish saying, and this is what they would, they would say to the student. They would say, may you be covered in his dust. May you be covered in his dust. That means like you walk so close that when he's walking down the dusty road, the dust that he produces like, falls. May you be covered in his dust. To follow a Jewish rabbi may result in being covered in his dust. But listen, to follow Jesus, to follow our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords, to follow our Savior who gave his life as a sacrifice to us, who rose victoriously from the grave, to follow Jesus, it doesn't ultimately mean that you're going to be covered in his dust, but it does mean, and I promise you this, that you'll be covered in his blood. Like to follow so close that the power of the blood of Jesus would begin to spill on us. To surrender so completely that our eyes are so focused, so trained on Jesus that we don't have any excuse for the wherever because wherever he goes, we go. That we don't have any excuse for the whenever because there is nothing that we are doing in life that would ever take priority over being close to Jesus and that whatever he is doing, we are committed to be about our Father's business. To be covered in his blood. To allow the blood of Jesus to just fill our hearts, to fill our souls, to fill our spirits, wherever. When Jesus says, what about there? We say, of course, Jesus, because you're going to be there. Whenever. What about, what about now? Yes, Jesus, if you're going, I'm going to go. Whatever. Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're doing it, I'm doing it. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you would like to connect with us or if you want more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com.